Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Hey, Catherine. Hey. Hey. How you doing? I'm tired. Oh, no. Did you not sleep? I did sleep. Oh, right. But you know what? I got up at 5.30 and then I went on a walk and like I'm worn out because I haven't been walking. <laughs> oh. I went on like an hour long walk and I'm pooped. <laughs> we need to get you walking more. That's a great time of the morning to walk though. Right. Wandering lonely as a cloud. <laughs> what? Uh, nothing. It's just a literary reference. What is up with the literary references now? You're some sort of wordsmith now? <laughs> you said it, not me. In any case. Um, so, Jim, one of the things that you have been talking about and that I haven't even been able to think about is the fact that, like, coronavirus is a major problem, but all other crises are still happening. Yes. Like, the other problems didn't go away. Yeah, we're going to see a surge in people needing, uh, you know, this kind of backlog of things that have been pushed. It, it, you know, a hospital is not an ideal place for a chronically ill person to venture to right now. So I've been thinking about that and wondering about what that experience is like. And um, Caitlin Flanagan has written a piece on what it's like to have a simultaneous health problem or a pre-existing health problem while this is happening when you need access to, to care um, and then the world falls apart. I've been wondering what that is like to be in that position. Yeah, so we're going to call uh, Caitlin Flanagan, who is a writer here at The Atlantic, and she, has, she writes on many topics. Um, but today we're specifically going to ask her about uh, a piece she's just written on her own personal health experience over the course of the last uh, couple months and actually several years. Are you guys there? Hi, yes. Caitlin. Oh, hey, hey, it worked. Where are you calling us from, Caitlin? I am calling you from my bedroom. I haven't done this many things in a bedroom since college dorm time. I say no more. It's just like <sighs> the magic happens here. Magic. Have Very you been Zooming exciting. or have you not been Zooming? Oh, I've been Zooming it up. <laughs> I have been just the queen of Zoom. What is the um, royalty title entitled you to on Zoom? It entitles you to full spectrum mental panic and disorder because you realize that nothing is as it appears on Zoom and that things that right. you don't want to be revealed like your Matterhorn of Laundry, which now exists in almost every room, is right, going to right. be revealed. So <laughs> right. I don't say that it's you know great to be in the royal family. Right. What have you been thinking about as the stay-at-home orders have come in? Well, I've been in a sort of particular situation in that, um, and the next sentence is going to sound worse than it is, but it's not great. I have stage four cancer. And... Um, the way in which it's not as bad as it sounds is that 
I, I was first diagnosed 17 years ago. So it's an incredibly long time to be alive and well and, you know, doing my thing, given that it was a very aggressive form of cancer that I was diagnosed with at that point. So when I first got diagnosed 17 years ago, we were just so, so, so shocked. You know, I was, I was 40. I had twins. They were four years old. I was just like living the part of my life I'd always wanted to live, you know, being a mom of young children. And this thing, I just went in for this routine test. You know, it was like, okay, we need to take some more films. That mammogram is something wrong with it. And I'm like, oh, sure, no problem. And then they said, yeah, don't get dressed yet. We want to do a sonogram. And then in the sonogram room, he said, you've got aggressive breast cancer. What, right there? Before even biopsy? Yeah. And he was right. And he said, we're going to do a biopsy right now. Mm. And then he just looked at me and said, you can't drive home. I need to call your husband. I need to get you a taxi. This is before Uber and all that. And he was absolutely right. But I, I had this animal instinct to get away from him and to get away from the office. And for him not to call my husband or anyone, I just had this sense, I've got to contain this information. I've got to keep it. I've got to get away from here. I mean, I, I, was, I was in shock, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And I need to... Um, keep this a secret. We just have to, we have to control this. We have to contain this. So this seems like a, mo- was this kind of a moment where your reality changed in an instant? Was it that kind of feeling? I died that day. The part of me that was before that day ended that day. But then a new part of me came back and I've lived a really, really good life. And I've, oh my gosh, I've raised my kids I've done wonderful things. I've traveled all over. And you really, you know, I have lived this 17 years just bathed in love because you find out how deeply loved you are. Mm -hmm. But it was the trauma of that day. So it was like, apparently, I'm not the one who decides what happens to my body anymore. What you're describing overlaps in some ways with what we've heard from some people who've gotten COVID-19. You're right now, everyone is being told that they're vulnerable to a yes. potentially fatal disease that you might even feel asymptomatic with and be spreading. And there's this uncertainty that a couple months ago was not on our radar at all as a thing that might potentially halt our society. Right. And it's one of the reasons that I did not take in the very beginning all the news about COVID seriously at all. When did you first hear about it? I mean, what was your kind of experience of realizing Gosh. that? Gosh, well, I, I, you know those old people cruises called Viking River Cruises? I do know those. I do know those. I, I, I know someone who's been on a Viking. I know. See, Jim's never even heard of it because you have to be, it's like certain sounds that only young people can hear. Like, <laughs> you have to be over 50 to where like a Viking River cruise sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, like, oh, I want to see the tulips in the Netherlands. You bet I do. You know, let's pony up. So what we had been hearing about COVID spreading, like the cruise ships were a bad place. Just in general, a cruise ship would mm-hmm. be a bad place. And it was COVID. And then I went for an infusion. And I actually asked the nurse, very, very smart, skilled chemo nurse, whatever that's called. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. It's the flu. It's just, you know, you'll take some apple juice. You'll take a few days off if it's COVID. I'm like, well, Mm. see. And one of my things of cancer is always like, the minute you hear about something you want to do, if it is at all within the realm of the possible, you got to do it now. So anyways, we had our money on. We had paid to go on the cruise, 8,000 bucks. So I wasn't taking it seriously. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, but that's also such a strange moment where you're one of your ways of coping with your cancer is to feel like seize the day. And oh, definitely. But this new pandemic means that that is off the table. Like, do the opposite of seize the day. Well, in the beginning, when they would say, I think the beginning, they were saying it may be a 2% fatality. And then somebody said a 1.5%. And I started laughing because when you have stage four cancer and someone's like, oh, this new illness could have a 1.5% mortality. You're like, yeah, wake me up when it's, you know, (laughs) get into double digits and tell me there's a problem. So I just didn't believe it was serious. Mm -hmm. And then I was just sitting outside. I'd just done an interview for work at a restaurant. And I looked around. I was like, gee, there's not a lot of cars on Ventura Boulevard. It's usually packed midday. And the restaurant was kind of empty. And while we were sitting there, both of our phones were going crazy with things being canceled for each of our lives. And all of a sudden, I just got this sense, like in a horror movie, of I need to get home right away. And it was since then that I've taken it very seriously. And it's been very, very frightening. Okay, let's let's COVID it up here. It's been the more I understood it, the more I understood it would kill me if I got it. You know, because um, I have currently, part of my many side effects from different cancer treatments is something called sarcoidosis in the lungs. Right now, I have this sarcoid, and my lungs are very impaired. Yeah, what do you do? I mean, how have you been channeling that fear, I guess? In the beginning, my fear was so huge because it seemed like COVID was just, I just felt like it could be like seeping underneath the front door. It could be coming in around the windows. It felt so frightening. But then as, as time progressed, and I realized, okay, it's a virus, the main way you're going to could get this virus is you're going to get sneezed on or coughed on or someone's going to say something to you. So you need to avoid that region of anybody that's not living in your house with you. You need to be in a mask. That makes sense. And anytime you go out, you need to be really careful about surfaces. So I was like, wow, when I had cancer, nobody gave me some common sense things that could really help me not have cancer. You know, it was like, oh, right. you are in really serious trouble. <laughs> We're going to give you the moonshot and try and save your life. With this, it was like, okay, it's a virus. You have to not get the, a virus. It's become, not that I've become relaxed around it, but it's just I've become a lot more realistic and a lot less frightened of it yeah. than I was at the beginning. And it wasn't even so much a fear. It was just, um, I just thought, mother of God, like 17 years in, the incredible f- public health failures in the United States of America, that's what's going to kill me. Like there's certain faiths that you have in the United States of America that, well, certain things are going to work like huge public health systems, CDC, Surgeon General, whatever are going to work and they're going to work at the right time and that there's going to be this seamless flow of information of honest information back and forth between public health authorities and us we the people and then to see the president of the united states just making things up day after day to people who might you know have the disease to people who are fearful of you know loved ones getting the disease in you know an old age homes assisted living it's just been a feeling of anger and sadness more even than fear. I wanted to ask about that messaging too. A lot of it was centered, you know, from the government and from other officials. Uh, there's this message of, you know, if you're not, the disease is mainly 
severe for people at high risk. So older people and people with chronic diseases. So you don't need to be concerned. And as someone with a condition that I guess at this point could be considered chronic, did did any of that reach you as kind of like, hey, who is the intended audience of this messaging from our officials? Yeah, for sure. They were talking about at risk and it was like, I so clearly remember, I think it was maybe the very first day of the COVID task force show that he does. That does. <laughs> the COVID task force show. <laughs> well, I was like, okay, who gets eliminated today? Hopefully not me. Um, so, <laughs> and I remember he got up there and he was like, it was just like, he's like, now we, there's only tw- there's only eight cases in America. Well, only one if you count it this way, and only and yeah. the newscasters are like. And but I was like, I so wanted to hear that, and I said, my husband's watched it too, and I was like, oh, Rob, did you hear that? There's only eight cases, and he he's like, you can never listen to anything that man says. Nothing he says is true, and I realized that even up to this late date of the Trump situation, I still must have had some vestigial beliefs about the presidency it just made me realize that if you have just an immoral man in the executive position i mean he's caused he's directly involved because i bet i just know there were plenty of people back east in the new york city area who heard what i heard people don't die from pandemics in america and made decisions about how they conducted themselves Right. about social distancing, about elderly relatives, about family right. members with pre-existing yep. conditions. And those people, some of them have now died. Right. Well, on this note, I I wonder, I'm thinking about your experience. And it seems like both with cancer and with this pandemic, obviously fear is a part of it. Fear and kind of loss of control. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like part of what you're identifying and part of what I've been wondering a lot about is the difference in these situations between grief and rage? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my experience is that rage is always a cover emotion. And underneath it is usually some level of sorrow. Right. I guess I've been thinking of these things as very different because as you're saying, sort of this was a, this pandemic in the US and all of the devastation it's causing didn't have to happen. It was, it's sort of a result of uh, an institutional failure. The metaphor in my mind was just like, it didn't have to jump the fire break. Like, this is America. We had a few fire breaks and we had some excellent information. And we could have had it not jump the fire break. Because once it did that, it's like cancer. It's like, so long as you can keep it from being stage four, you know, and jumping the fire break and going into other organs. Right. You know, if you can just stop that, you're going to probably be in good shape. And there was every reason to do this and to be very serious about it very early on. And it'd be many, 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 many lives would have been spared. Right. What do you think you know based on your experience? Uh, I always said from the beginning, there will be no learning. I'm not going (laughs) to, there will be no point in this experience when I say, I wouldn't trade my cancer for anything because now I know this and I know that. Right, right. Um, I learned from cancer that when anyone tells you that uses the phrase, the new normal, you have just been biblically fucked is what they're trying to tell you. The <laughs> new normal just means like a truck ran over you and your whole life is gone. So, um, but as I adjust to this new normal and realizing, well, it's going to be a long time before I can really travel 
like that again. Right. Or go anywhere in, you know, without a mask on or, or whatever. And it's, it's depressing. It is depressing. I'll be honest about it. So why um, do you think, why do you think there is that impulse to, I mean, I've seen this all over just sort of be like, well, hopefully things will, you know, just sort of a, a lack of reckoning with the brutal reality. Well, they, isn't there a lot of studies that like pessimists actually do live longer because we are the ones who are like, yeah, I bet this is going to kill us all. I, you know, I'm gonna we're, go we're never disappointed. Right. It's never disappointed. And at least we took these precautions. So I, I don't know. I just think until there's a really good treatment, an effective treatment or a vaccine, um, we're stuck. So I think it's going to be a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank yep. you for the perspective, Caitlin. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, you guys. I thank appreciate you. being invited on. Take but, care. Oh, Take oh care. I will. Yeah. I will. Keep us posted. Thanks. Absolutely. I will. Okay. Bye. Okay. Thanks. Bye. I'm going to get into like embroidery as a hobby during uh, this time. And I'm going to embroider a pillow with the phrase, you have just been biblically fucked. I like that. Yeah, that's a thing. The embroidery of profanities. Oh, am I on trend? Is this like something that's on Etsy already? It is. Okay, well. No, no, no. You gotta, it's important to have hobbies. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It's definitely preferable to rage. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is you've just been biblically fucked as a great, is, I wish that tone was more present in our public communications. Oh, right, right, right. Just set expectations extraordinarily low for the future. Well, or just realistically. Honestly, that would have been the way to go politically, which is part of the reason she she and others, I think, were like, there would be no reason to downplay this. Just say it's going to be horrible, and then it is, and then the best case scenario turns out better than you thought. Right. And your administration did a good job making it not quite as bad as it could have been. Um, and they didn't go that way, which is baffling. Um, anyway. Anyway, why don't you do the credits? This show was produced today by Alvin Melleth with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. If you like the show, the best way to support our journalism is to subscribe, which you can do at theatlantic.com backslash support us. Backslash? Or just a slash? I like to use the backslash. Messes up everything. But I use this sort of Bing browser. Um, Okay. okay. I'll uh, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.